the basketball is in hand. The music is ended, which must mean another edition of the Hempflatic Podcast. Mm-hmm. So Saturday we had a little event at the Riot Room. Bob was still not quite good enough to attend, but we did have actually all my family came out in very strong support. And my cousins and I had probably one of the best Mother's Day weekends we've had in a while. Uh, considering some of the, some of the things that have happened in our family, and we had a blast. My brother, myself, my cousins, whew, Ryan and Kelly and Anthony, and we just had a blast. And we talked to a bunch of people about the podcast, and we raised uh, about three hundred dollars for the ride for missing children, Did exploited you children. Destroy a car. No, we didn't destroy a car. Um, I Actually, I didn't even go and destroy anything. I really didn't have angst to get out. But my cousin Kelly, wow, she got her angst out. I think uh, the line from her husband was, I think she might like me again after today. So wait, wait, it was a quiet riot? A quiet riot. So, so my cousin stepped into this, in the riot room in Rochester, New York, she stepped into this big cement room that's all protected and she had all this protective gear on and she's been very frustrated lately with things, some things going on in her life and she knew she had some angst to get out. She actually begged me to change the date of this event just for her to be able to go to do this. So, so I did and as uh, soon as she got in that room, she had five minutes and she took every second of that five minutes and I think she broke things like seven times. Like she couldn't have smashed things in smaller pieces than when she was done. And uh, uh, at one point, her husband said, I think I'm afraid to go home with her tonight. <laughs> things, that's a generalism. So what are we talking things like pottery? Or- no, you're like uh, some computer equipment. I think she had a couple glass bottles. Uh, I think it was a radio. Oh, a telephone because my oh. cousin said, oh, you didn't call me back as she's killing the telephone. Like uh, telephone. But then she got through her bin of stuff and started picking up other people's stuff that, you know, the other people didn't quite smash like to her appropriate measures and she had to go back and make sure those were again trashed at worse uh, so she, she's good for a week yeah maybe a day or two <laughs> right. i saw her at mother's day the next day the five of us were sitting in a corner like little children talking about our night and and the the kids in the room were looking at us like we were the losers it was the kind of really sick twisted thing that was happening it was really cool as long as you had fun bob welcome back it's so nice to have you. It's good to be back. And uh, so tell us about your health. Tell us if, are you 100%? Are you coming in ailing? To, how are you doing? I'm not ailing. I'm about uh, 98%. I'm able to do so much more than I used to. I, I don't know if, if getting rid of my gallbladder actually improved me in the long run because I don't feel like I have as many issues as I used to have. So I don't know. The jury's still out on that one. But uh, it was quite the adventure. I'll tell. We'll, we'll tell you in a couple weeks, Bob. Oh, you'll, you'll tell me if, if I've changed. <laughs> yeah. or, well, I'll still be the same personality-wise. I'm talking about internally. So tell us, was it a good experience, bad experience? Uh, I know was, you probably learned a ton about gallbladders. It was a, My dad taught us a little bit last week. So tell us about your experience. It was please. a horrible experience. So around, uh, no, not around, on April 7th, I woke up around 1 o'clock in the morning and I had this excruciating pain in the center of my chest. I thought I was having some really bad heartburn. So I just went into the living room, suffering it out. I'm like, you know, choking and choking. And it's, then I started throwing up. 
and the pain would not stop. And uh, my partner saying, uh, I'm taking you to the hospital. I'm taking you to the hospital. And for about an, argue, uh, about an hour, I argued with him and I said, no, we're not going to the hospital because that's going to cost a lot of money. So it, giving into the pain, I finally went to the emergency room. I had a nice little room in the emergency room at General, in Rochester General, and uh, I was there for about 12 hours, and at the end of the 12 hours, a surgeon came in to me and said, you need your gallbladder removed. I'm like, oh, wow. I had a lot of tests and whatnot, and that's how they got to that decision. He also kind of gave me the idea that I didn't need the gallbladder out right away. He gave me the impression that he, he said, uh, well, we can do it tomorrow, or you can have it scheduled. So I'm thinking I've got plenty of time. So I went home and the pain didn't stop. I just got worse and worse and worse. And I had an appointment for my doctor uh, Thursday the 11th. I went into the doctor and I wasn't eating very much. I was still thrown up. My doctor said, I don't know why you're here. You do not have two weeks to wait. And when he said, I don't have two weeks, that and I'm just like emotionally distraught. And I'm thinking, holy cow. I don't have two weeks. What does that mean? I didn't elaborate because I'm out of my head. So I'm like, all right, I'm going back to the emergency room that night. Uh, when in Thursday, when I finally got to see a doctor after about six hours of being in the emergency room, they said my gallbladder was inflamed. It was infected. I had over um, five or six stones within my gallbladder. Um, about... 10 hours later, I was in a room. The next day on the 12th, I had my gallbladder removed, and then recovery started not too far after that. The recovery consist of laying in bed? Did it consist of, what did they tell you? I could not move the first week. Uh, getting out of bed was excruciatingly painful. It was any kind of crunch-like movement in my stomach. Um, I was very weak. I, I could not eat much at all. Um, the doctor told me my diet would have to change. And for the most part it has. I've reduced a lot of sugars, a lot of fats. Uh, I had lost about 10 pounds within three days. Um, I was looking pretty pretty pathetic, pretty sad. And, uh, now what about diet? That, that's a curious piece. What, what do you mean? Talked about diet change? Well, your, your gallbladder basically assists in getting rid of some of the fats that you, you ingest. So when you no longer have it, the, the amount of fat is going to go right into your system and it also produces bile. So, or it, doesn't produce bile. It, it, um, it does produce bile. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it's now going to bypass that. The bile is going to now bypass that and go right into your stomach, lower intestine. And that's going to cause issues because you're basically ingesting bile and that becomes like a laxative and you need the bathroom. So you, <laughs> you need to be careful of what you're eating. So anything fatty you want to avoid, anything sugary you want to avoid. Um, cholesterol and other substances found in bile form stones. You're, you're almost right on the money. Uh, the probably the wrong kind of cholesterol is probably what combines with it. Oh yeah. You never thought of getting my cholesterol rechecked, but, uh, 
yeah, so I was drinking water, um, broth. I had to stay away from cheeses. Uh, and the nurse who spoke to me said that I can slowly introduce this stuff. I'm still mildly affected of what I'm eating, so I'm trying to eat as cautiously as possible. Uh, chocolate is my weakness, so I have a hard time completely avoiding that. Yeah, but it's so. So, did they talk about a strict change of diet, or 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 are you looking at that yourself? Well, they did tell me that all these things I need to cut out, and I can eventually move them back in, meaning fatty foods, chocolates, creams, or cheeses. And I'm seeing this as an opportunity to change my overall diet. I've had this issue; the issue's gone. The issue being my gallbladder, no longer with me. I'm thinking, hey, why don't I turn this around and make something positive of it and, and eat a little bit healthier? Not that I ate horribly. It's not like I ran out to McDonald's every day, but I'm going to be more conscious of the sugar intake that I have, the, the, the fatty foods that I'm, that I'm looking at, you know, stay away from the beef or stick with lean meats. And the only things I see here for prevention from webs one website I'm looking at now is don't skip meals um, to prevent gallstones from forming in the first place. Try not try to stick to your usual meal times each day. Skipping meals or fasting can increase the risk of gallstones. Lose weight slowly. If you need to lose weight, go slow. Rapid weight loss can increase the risk of gallstones. But that's probably because it's triggering that bad cholesterol that's stored in fat, and then it, it, it's getting released as you're losing the weight, and then it's going getting processed. Right. Right. That's that's ultimately what's happening there. Um, and then obviously obesity is a big thing. But food, foods is interesting. So we'll have to do some more research on that for a future episode to talk about what foods um, really you shouldn't should Because sugars, to me, that's a little general. I mean, obviously, you don't want a lot of sugars or carbs no matter what in your diet. But. Right. But they're America's weakness. You know, we love our sugars. We love our fats. And that's why most of us are like we are. And it's hard to stay away from that because it's the easiest way to eat nowadays. I mean, the, you go to you go to uh, Walmart, and you very rarely see any diet foods within the store. If you look at it, they don't have a lot of diet products. What is everything just being reduced already? No, diet foods are more expensive. If it, you want to eat healthy, it's more expensive. Mm, that's an interesting one. I might challenge you a little bit on that because I think there's a lot of foods I see down there that are light when I go down certain aisles. Um, but but uh, the nutrition panels has to be so thorough now because of the FDA. I, I feel like right on the back, you're going to be able to read exactly. You, you can see your serving size very clearly now. What's inside? What calories there are? What If they're good and bad? You're, all you got to do is look at a nutrition panel right now. Right. I mean, I'll, at the end of the day. That's if you do that. Everybody has that within their ability to do they that. They do. But do they care? Do they want to? When they're at the doctor dealing with issues later on, that's when they start to care, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the, the healing process took a while. Uh, the first week I was very immobile, sitting on the couch, going to the couch from the bed. Um, in a gradual, it took about three weeks for the pain to just about completely go, go away. Last week I was still out of work, but I was able to lift things. The doctor told me that I was not able to lift anything more than 10 pounds while this was taking place. So, and, and that aggravated it. I noticed that uh, one afternoon when I went to the store, I just bought chicken broth. I bought two big things of chicken broth, 
And even though that weight wasn't that much, it still aggravated the... They weren't stitches. Because you were getting... Yeah, you are getting your blood flow up and that was... And you're moving... Yeah. You're using the muscles in, mm -hmm. your, in your abdomen that you should try to avoid because you just got cut open and had an organ ripped out of you. So, but last week... You know, I'm back on my feet. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff at the house, and it felt good to be productive. And it's nice to be out and about and doing things again. And it's springtime. Is that what this is? Yeah, we got sunshine. Okay. And, and we have a guest uh, who has some experience with growing. So, so I'm really excited to bring him on here in a minute. Um, he, I heard of him from a friend of mine, Anna, who was on a couple episodes ago with Ormengi, and she had mentioned to me the other day that uh, this gentleman just may have gotten a, a license here in the state to grow hemp, and I All thought right. what a great opportunity to, to hear from someone like that. So so we're going to take a call from him here just in a second. Okay. All right, everybody, we have with us our guest for this week, now that we're done talking about all Bob's health issues being resolved. So today we have... Brent Jessian. I hope I said that right. Uh, he's out of California Perfect. at the moment. Oh, I said it right. Excellent. Every once in a while, he is the Earth CEO and founder. Uh, we're going to learn more about that in a minute. Uh, but we are bringing him out at a perfect time here in springtime. And, and he has some experience, I would think, out in the field or maybe in greenhouses growing. So it is a perfect time to bring Brent on. So I welcome you, Brent, to, to the Hempathletic Podcast. Hi, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, um, and thank you, Anna, for linking us up together. And uh, just to be clear, the, the the company's name is Salt of the Earth Nursery, and uh, we've been in operation in California for about a year and a half now uh, as a licensed nursery, and uh, just recently acquired our hemp license in New York to start cultivating. Coast to coast grower. That's the idea. So a year and a half, how hard was it to get yourself up and running in California? I mean, we hear all these horror stories about California, and now here you are. It looks like you're doing well there and now coming to New York. So, so how did you get ahead of the curve there? Oh, man. Um, that is, I don't know if we have enough time in a couple of days to go through all that, but long story short, um, I had some health complications uh, in while I was in New York uh, since kind of over that hurdle but when i got a clean bill of health i essentially uh went parted ways with my current uh occupation which was working for a, a local organic biopesticide and fertilizer company and decided to travel a little bit and through the mystic ways of the universe saw myself uh planning on just coming out to california for about a month uh that turned into uh a more permanent gig on a large uh, legal outdoor ranch in San Benito County of California, uh, in which uh, at the end of that outdoor season, uh, I had been uh, spoken with some people local in Rochester, New York, uh, that wanted to partner and starting a company, uh, which I then got a one-way ticket back out to California here. Uh, and uh, from that point, I reached out to the very few connections I had just asking, Hey, which County should I start looking for property in? Um, and they responded with, well, I didn't know you were going to be living in California. I'm working on a really large project. I'd love for your help. And I can show you, um, some places in the County that, uh, is the best, which is Monterey County while you're out here. So you can 
make some money while you're doing it. So I jumped on that, ended up being like, pretty enthralled with what was going on there. The scope of the project was massive, much larger than what myself and the investors I had would have been able to start. I would say on a, a good a good go at it, it would have taken us a few years to get to this size of an organization, and they essentially wanted to make me their their head grower and GM of the company, and I had to put my personal goals on hold uh, because I saw this as a really good learning experience and using other people's funds, which w- wasn't my intent necessarily, but um, as a, a businessman, I, you know, I, I wanted to take a stab at it, and uh, my investors were understanding. Uh, fast forward about nine months, uh, we then parted ways. Uh, and I had a few different opportunities to go at, and one of which was a just uh, nursery operation. Um, so no more cultivation of flour, um, which um, I'm not sure how much you guys know about it, um, but uh, there's a lot of things involved with cultivating cannabis in particular uh, that is beyond just growing beautiful bud. Mm-hmm. Um after you do that, you have to then harvest it, you have to cure it, you have to trim it, um, which on a small scale is, is it, it can be almost uh, stress relieving and therapeutic in a way, but on a, on a commercial scale, when you're taking down between 500 and 2,000 pounds at a time. And you're uh, doing it by hand, record, and all your stuff's getting sticky. At the, at, at the beginning, yes. So most of the commercial grows out here have since moved to machine trim uh not all but most um and then the, the other headache with this area in particular is uh, every night you're like on a, a good day you're getting above 70 percent humidity usually closer to 90 percent humidity outside so when you're later into flower that is essentially a war zone uh, against uh fungal spores so when, when i learned of the opportunity to start a nursery uh, only business, uh, I kind of salivated a little bit just because I was thinking, oh, I don't have to deal with trimmers. I don't have to figure out space. And, you know, the the real downside to it is you're putting, if you buy the teens from a nursery like myself, you only have two months to put into the plant before you're harvesting it. That's the benefit of shopping from a nursery that you trust, that is pest-free, Etc. Um, but if you're doing it yourself, you're looking at minimum three months of work and care you've put into this plant to get it to the point of harvesting it. And then you have another week of drying and curing it when it could all be for nothing just within the last few days of that. If your humidity is in, in uh, the right specs, your, your product can mold out and be essentially garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nursery game, I could lose every clone, all 70,000 clones in my in my little baby nursery there. And then, yeah, that would be a big hit, and we'd lose money on that. But within two weeks, I could have that full filled up and rooted with sellable product again. Um, so the turnaround and risk mitigation is, is much better in a nursery, in, in my mind. Amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, that's also kind of what the, the the business plan that I'm the business model that I'm bringing to New York as well. We do plan on cultivating our own CBD hemp flowers for um, obviously medicinal use and uh, all the different products. But we're also trying to line up 
you know, all the textile uses as well. Um, but the, the main business goal is to supply all of the hemp farmers in New York State with clean, consistent, vigorous starts. Um, personally, I prefer clones, um, and they make machines that make it really easy to plant them. And you're, you know, essentially shooting ahead at least three weeks if you're planting seeds um, for slightly higher price, but not much. And uh, what sets us apart out here is we do offer clean products, and we also put a guarantee on that. So, when so I you're going to have a guarantee I, for the for your percentages of your CBD in the plants? Uh, I can't do that in the finished product because a large percentage of that is due to how you grow it honestly mm-hmm. so i uh what i can guarantee though is you know for uh and i have to i don't want to give specific numbers but no, out I, here yeah, where we fine, do a, yeah. a five-day guarantee where you know as a, a a good grower your management team should be able to find any pests or real issues with the plants within five days and you know anything short of you forgetting to water it or letting it dry out or whatnot you know, we would, we would replace that. Um, and as a grower out here, I basically refused to take plants from anyone else unless it was a small amount of cuts that, you know, I'm going to mother out and be really baby to build, build an inventory of a, a certain gen- mm-hmm. But uh, I, I basically saw that as the niche. Is, uh, we, we've done no We're essentially, we could be twice the size and we couldn't, we couldn't make everyone happy with the orders we're trying to fill out here, so we're we are actually looking to expand. But how many strain how many strains are you working with out in Cali? <laughs> uh, well, we had around ninety. I've since uh, really aggressively cut that down, just because uh, with the the growers on the scale that we're we've been targeting are large commercial growers, and they they don't even want to consider growing any less than a hundred of a strain. Usually, they want at least three hundred to 500 of a certain cut that they're going to be flowering out. So to get in our space, to get enough cuts of each strain, we had to cut that down. And it was really tough. Mm-hmm. We had to let go of some really old classic genetics that are pretty hard to find. I, I have kept them for like personal bank. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as providing for customers, we've had to cut that down to what's selling the most and what's producing the most uh, for our customers. And right now, it, it tends to be mostly um, things that are gassy. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what your, your demographic is that's listening, but mm-hmm. that usually includes things like any OG uh, that's a true OG. Um, there's a lot of OGs that are crossed with things that have sweet and uh, fruity smells and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. the thing most large growers are looking for right now is, you know, just uh, un tampered with gas smell, which, uh, you know, the OGs, uh, Gorilla Glue, Sour Diesels, um, some Chems, um, and then obviously crosses of all those can fall into that category too. But um, And then on the flip side is exotics. So a lot of our customers are actually indoor growers that since we are able to kind of guarantee a, a clean start, um, they're, they're actually finding a better yield starting with plants grown in the sun. Um, so they're getting, uh, with our soil blend, shout out to Terravesco Soil with that. Uh, I, I do I do some proprietary amendments myself, but their, their base, vermicompost, 
uh, cocoa coir soil um, really gives these plants uh, a good environment to start in. Our clones are started in soil as well, so there's almost no transplant shock. They're grown in full sun. So an indoor grower can put these right under a 1,000-watt Gavita lights and have no adverse effects. Um, and start, starting the clones in full sun and then also growing them in teen and topping them and training them for them, they're able to get uh, sometimes 30% higher yields uh, from the same genetics that, you know, they can give us their genetics to grow out, but just growing it in our soil um, in our conditions with our nutrient list and then going into their program, they're able to get those bigger yields because they have thicker stalks, uh, more tops, better internodal stretching, um, and just all across the board, you know, they're paying a little bit more for this premium product, but they're exceeding that far far and wide on the on the, fi- the finishing end, you know. So And you got a large um, operation. What is 180,000 square feet I see listed here? Um, so that's, uh, I was flowering 180,000 square feet, um, and that also had about 40,000 square feet of nursery, uh, to provide for that. Um, that's including mothers, clone space, and, you know, teens that we were vegging to get ready to get in there. But, um, basically the, the system setup was with enough nursery space and training that side, we were able to harvest, clean out the space, sanitize the space, move in the next plants and essentially you get them flipped the flower within two days. And that's on, you know, on acres at a time. You, we would sometimes have a hundred person crew come in there and just get that done in two days. And so, and essentially 54, a little over 54 weeks. So just over a year, you're able to get around six harvests out of one spot, which just adding one more harvest is millions and millions of dollars in a year, in a fiscal year. So, um, it's more expensive to do that up front, but you're getting more on the back end as well. Absolutely. Um, now, do you sell to yeah. any processing facilities as well, or are you t- totally selling to people that are going to continue the process and finish it up? So, so right now, yeah, as, as flowering, yes, there's there's distribution companies, there's processing labs, um, uh, there's, and then on the hemp side of things too, there's there's a lot of big biomass shoppers out there. Um, that are going to these uh, legal hemp farms and sometimes not look looking for no less than a hundred thousand pounds of hemp biomass. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's already big players in this, and uh, the fact that my family crew that we kind of I, I you know these are friends of mine that had enough faith in myself and this plant and. Uh, just wanting to have control of their lives, uh, quit careers and uh, master's degrees to move across the company and help me start this company. Um, all of which had, other than you know, uh, using the medicine themselves, uh, had no experience with cannabis. So these are people that basically devoted their lives to this plant and learning how to be experts in a field um, in a state that has been doing it for decades. And we've been able to get a foothold in the industry just by, you know, uh, bringing, uh, so my background is, is in science. My degrees are in biology, minor in chemistry, nothing fancy, but my, all my years, 10 to 15 years working before moving out here was all in labs doing research. The last five years or so was for an organic biopesticide fertilizer company. So for those five years, half of my job was literally growing every type of plant you can imagine in a greenhouse, testing our organic pesticides and fertilizers alongside competitors, seeing what 
worked best, what worked best together, and then also being taught by, you know, pathologists and uh, plant physiologists and people with doctorates that had had way more experience and knowledge than I did teaching me. And uh, it's been very useful out here because what we started doing growing in these greenhouses that were uh, flower greenhouses, there's literally millions of acres um, of greenhouse that have since been dilapidated since NAFTA in the 90s put them all out of business. Hmm. And these are the greenhouses that the county allowed um, people willing to pump money into them, uh, basically a, a, a fair shot at uh, growing as much cannabis as you want within the walls of a pre-existing greenhouse. And by pre-existing, that could be a greenhouse that had a permit out that has since been knocked down and put a parking lot on, but that permit stands, there's greenhouse space there on that property that you can then get permitted for uh, legal cannabis group uh, growing. And now it's been kind of flooded, so it's not very easy to find properties anymore. But um, but you got into the space when, uh, when you could. I mean, you got in a perfect time. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, we you know we, we even got in late because there, there was insider knowledge. There were people that started buying up these things like for pennies on the dollar uh, and then flipping them now, like once it became legalized and you know, the, the value went up by a hundred, like probably 10 or 20 times what they bought it for, you know? Um, Oh, it's amazing. It's a real estate game and a packaging game aside from the plant itself. It's, there's other components to this whole, this whole thing out there. I, I had trouble hearing you there on that. that, that I, I said when you talk about California, it seems like it's part of it's a real estate game, part of it's a packaging game, part of it's making sure you have the money up front, and then you, you found the right space to grow the plants. I mean, how did you get your strain so far along in such a short time? I, I'm amazed by oh, that. Oh, man. I'm amazed. Uh, I mean, and you're doing CBD and THC, right? Is that correct? Yes. Uh, honestly, um, just leaping. That's the best way I can put it. I, I sold my, my property in Rochester. I emptied my retirement accounts. I got some uh, money from my mom that uh, is not wealthy by any means, but put a little bit towards it. Uh, and then I took my perfect credit and maximized every loan I could possibly get and uh, drove that into the ground and thought I was going to go out of business and was 100% going to fail about 15 different times and just accepted that as my fate, but going down swinging and it worked out. Um, and that's really the only real, uh, advice I have for anyone that feels like they're, you know, they, they need to be an entrepreneur. They're, they're dying inside working for anyone, for anyone else is basically just, just do it and don't take failure as an option. There's always a way to succeed. Um, uh, and if you if you do end up like essentially going bankrupt, but you know you put everything into it, uh, you're going to be able to sleep pretty well at night. You might have you know if you if you don't have an ego about it. Uh, the real regrets I have in life is uh, what I wish I could have done more for. You know, and that that was kind of what helped me in the real tough times. Was you know if, if you know I'm probably going to fail at this, but at least I'm going to be able to sleep saying I gave it my all. And uh, I think the kind of waiting for our reputation to catch on. We've essentially had no marketing at all. 
at this point. And it's all just been through word of mouth and people being really happy with their experience and, you know, us having integrity and not just trying to make the quick buck. If, you know, if there's been a mistake, uh, you know, we own up to it and say, how do we make you feel so good about it that you still want to come back and give us another try? And uh, it's, it's, I, I got caught on beyond our wildest dreams. We're, the, the, the stress right now is just trying to figure out how we can fill more orders. Yeah, relationships and partnerships is a big piece of this because agriculture, uh, especially I'm sure when you get to New York, it'll probably even be a little tougher, you know, being a little bit newer here, but there's always trials and tribulations. Yeah. No matter how yeah. much information you have and how smart and degrees you have, there's things that happen that You're are right. out of your control. 100%. And it's, it's cost probably three times as much as I budgeted, budgeted for, even though I started essentially two other companies for other people out here before doing it. It was, uh, you know, going from a, a much smaller scale to a commercial scale, uh, there, I don't care who you are, how long you've been growing for, uh, there are going to be things that you were not going to be able to calculate. Like something is like something that sticks out in my mind. I knew exactly how much soil I needed for so many pots because uh, I did it myself for years and years and years, and uh, it was exact. I didn't account for the fact that because it was getting dumped off by a big dump truck and going to sit in a pile outside the greenhouse where there's wind over, you know, just overnight, you're going to lose, you know, 20 yards of soil to wind. You know what I mean? I, something that as being an indoor grower or, you know, something you're going to be able to do in one day or – or even when you don't, you get the human factor and you have a hundred people that aren't you doing something, they're going to do it slightly differently. Maybe spill a little bit more, maybe put a little bit more into each pot. Maybe, you know what I mean? It's, it's being able to see the bigger picture. And honestly, I, I jumped into this County here where everyone was starting at the same time and no one had done it like at, at this scale in this way ever. There's never been, you know, massive multiple acre greenhouses in the environment of California that were all outfitted to grow ornamental flowers to grow uh, a, a specialty crop like cannabis, especially one that's going to be regulated um, at this scale. So you have these farms getting started up with millions of dollars of budget and people that have been growing for 20, 30 years growing great cannabis cannabis up in the mountains, outdoor or indoor, or, you know, but, but shown and proven they can grow amazing flower for decades in these conditions being thrown into these, these other conditions and trying to use the same formulas and they're failing. And, you know, they, they got these systems dialed in over the years by just doing what works. And when you've come in and when you start now bringing scientists into it, they can tell you why, this thing that you did for 20 years there isn't working here and being able to figure out and how to mitigate that, that. That's the exciting part is everyone's sprinting out here and everyone's on an even playing field. I'm on the same playing field as a billion dollar startup next to me. When I started with, you know, my measly uh, scientist life savings at 30 years old from Rochester, New York, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, granted it was, it was a lot of money, <laughs> but, uh, by probably a fraction, a quarter of the budget to do exactly what we did if we were going to just come in as an investor and make that happen. And that's also why we're surviving is we, we, the costs are astronomical. The costs are astronomical. 
No, yeah, but I, don't get I mean, too- yeah, you can't. There's no tax write-offs or anything you're doing THC related. I mean, most people don't realize you know, banking. There's so many different related costs. Yeah, Insurance we, is uh, out the roof. We, we are unable to bank with a federally insured bank. It's still federally illegal. So there's a lot of cash. There's a lot of uh, fibbing to organizations like banks and companies and insurance companies uh, where they can't even know that we're cannabis because they they won't do business with us still um and just on a the, the so to jump back i was flowering 180,000 square feet with the 40,000 square feet of nursery uh i currently the, the company i started is just in 25,000 square feet so one eighth essentially one eighth of the size uh of what i was doing before and my my monthly expenses are six figures oh. just for that little space so I have to I have to make thirty three hundred dollars a day just to break even minimum, uh, and that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> especially when you have you know family, friends that have essentially uh, trusted you with changing their life path. You know it, it's it's for them, but it was a huge uh, thing for me to get people out here I could trust because I I'd, I'd been lied to and stolen from more in the the year and a half that I was out here I was out here beforehand. Uh, then I had my whole life back in New York. It's it's uh it's a it's a it's a wild west industry. It's very gray market. It's very um uh you know everyone's looking out for their own families out here. You know, so I'm if I'm an outsider, a new person coming in, everyone's going to try to take advantage of that. And that's really where I I'm really excited to get going back in uh, outside of Rochester uh, with the hemp project. One because my understanding that the people with hemp licenses are going to have a much better go at getting a THC cultivation license as well. Um, but uh, I'm excited to just go back to my home area where I know the electricians, I know the security companies, I know the the agricultural companies. I know you know they're 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 friends of the family at the very least that have been in the area for years, and um, they're not going to say oh. I didn't know you were a cannabis company, so I, I'm going to have to restructure that bill. It's actually four times higher than what I told you it was going to be. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, you know, everyone thinks it's uh, deep, really deep pockets where um, the potential it really is there. It's enough, definitely enough for everyone to eat really well. Um, but that's the thing is everyone thinks that everyone's trying to screw them, and so everyone, no one's, you know, it's... They think there's more money there. Yeah, they think there's more money there than there is, especially in the beginning phase of starting a company. It is so hard to get ahead because of the business challenges. Yes, very much so. And um, I just look forward to to kind of going back to my home state and, you know, really giving back to the community that, you know, raised me and my family that helped me start this company. Um, Yeah, so first of all, where'd you get your degrees? Uh, I, I went to my, my undergrad is from Genes- SUNY Geneseo. Uh, the degree is, is a, a BS degree in biology. It, I went for pre-vet, um, ended up getting a, a minor in small business in chemistry. Um, and then, uh, instead of going to vet school, went right into the, the workforce, uh, trying to get my, my debts down before, you know, biting fighting off a really another six figures worth of school loan debt. And that just started me on a whole different path. And that's, that's a whole nother story. But, um, 
it ended up with me uh, working for that organic biopesticide company, which then had me experimenting um, with plants and growing. And uh, I found my love for cannabis through through that, as well as you know, helping a, a, a niece of mine out with some cannabis oils um, due to some medical conditions um, that. I would like to probably talk to her parents before I went too much into that. No, that's uh, okay. It's just so funny that a lot of us had to experiment so much in New York State with different things to really help our ailments. Yeah, the thing is, uh, up until recently, I mean, I I still don't think it's even able to be talked about, but, um, you know, doctors aren't even allowed to know what kids are getting certain cannabis medicines even though the you know the, the parents are doing that but think about how much better the medical system could work if they knew everything that the kid was getting but then if the parent tells them that then they have to report them the cps <laughs> yeah especially if it's uh, cbd or, or just some topical or something to help out with a condition i mean autistic kids well, the, the we're, we're just is one thing but but i i want to set something really clear with everyone listening um cbd is wildly more inefficient if there's no THC. It does something, but you have to use three or four times as much, and there are a lot of things that it can help with that it doesn't even touch because it has trouble going through the blood-brain barrier, which THC helps to get through. So um, it's a great first step. I love it. I think the the CBD industry has a, a lot to learn, and I think the, the, the users for CBD have a lot to learn. They're being wildly misled. Um, but we're all going to get there. I think there's a lot of great people in the industry fighting to get uh, the end users, the knowledge they need to know. Um, but you guys have to understand that THC is vital for real medical, uh, benefits and not to say that there aren't real ones without it, but, but it, it needs to get there. And that doesn't mean it has to be at levels where you're, you know, psychoactively really affected. No, it just a good full super, spectrum, just a good full spectrum tincture. Right, uh, uh, an actual full spectrum. So, right. you know, full spectrum means everything. A, a hemp a hemp plant has some THC in it. It's to be classified as, as hemp, it has to have under 0.3% of THC, which is way under what it would take to feel anything. But a full spectrum CBD oil should have some THC in it. You know, in New York, um, State, New York State, I think is is missing that a little bit, uh, but I hope at some point well, it modifies. The, 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 the disconnect there is, you know, when you're getting CBD, they're they're not claiming any THC in it because they're using CBD distillate and isolates, which is isolating it from the THC. Mm-hmm. But when things are putting full spectrum on it, it's kind of misleading because if you're doing a full spectrum oil from any hemp plant, you're getting some THC in there, and I don't see that on any of the labels. That's only some, yeah. It, it all depends on what you find. I think my uh, I've sampled about two two hundred product lines over the last couple months, and some do and some don't. Yeah, you're right. There's definitely Beautiful. inaccuracies out there. Yep, and and that that is, uh, you know, we basically have to start treating the CBD hemp fields in my mind as THC fields uh, because it's inevitable that that's when it's going to happen. So my farm that I'm going to hopefully be breaking ground on, uh, on my property. That's been in my family for multiple generations, uh, hopefully within the next few months. And I'm going to going to be constructing, 
and designing it under the regulations that I have to do a full cannabis farm out here for that's, you know, under the guidelines that the state has come up with, assuming that New York's going to come up with at least something in the same ballpark and uh, going to carry our best practices from over here. Um, and that's huge. That's huge provide. for New York State. So so let's yeah. talk a little bit. First of all, why is it that you're able to get the license to grow in New York State? I thought I'd close down, and I'm playing a little stupid here just so you can explain to people how you how you got in the game in New York um, recently. Um. Well, uh, so I, I've made it known to a lot of people that I I know in the industry and in CBD in general throughout the, the country and then in particular in New York. They're in, involved in some other CBD projects. Um but they're they're very uh, they have their ears to the ground legally speaking out there, and uh, I was made aware that you need to have your applications in before the end of the year. Um, so I very hastily got that together and got that in literally last minute. Um, but I, I do believe that they chose us uh, to go to go forward with the research project. Uh, mainly because we have a successful business model out here. I don't believe many people um, have basically devoted to starting uh, a nursery, so to speak, for the other hemp farms. Um, and then uh, realistically, I think because I know uh, Cornell is doing some research with some other friends of mine um, in the bio the organic biopesticide and fertilizer industry, uh, and they're having a lot of trouble getting starts going in the, the New York climates. Um, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of struggles. Um, yes, indeed. This is a tough climate to grow in. That's right. Yep. It is. It is. And it, it's possible. Basically, anywhere you can go gr grow grapes, I think you can grow decent cannabis. Uh, I don't think New York is the best place just because you're only, going to be able to get one round out where in some of the other states you have a long enough season where you can get an early uh, uh some some auto flowers out early on harvest and then get some uh matured starts in again for the full term to harvest at the end of the year um so there's kind of a downside to some other states but um you have to take into consideration everyone wants to stay local and that that's uh, that's that's trending now in all businesses but beyond that, the, the transportation um, and then the networking, you know, everyone's going to want to do business with the people that they know and trust. And uh, well, that's part of it. But the state's going to mandate it as well. So the state's going to mandate that anybody who of the 79 processing licenses that were just handed out and the ones that are already still in place, they're going to be all mandated to buy biomass from within the state if possible. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's, that's what it looks like it's going to come out in the policy. That policy is not completely set until hopefully July when the THC policy comes out for the rec recreational here in New York State. We think the whole thing's going to come out under Department of Cannabis or something like that. Um, but there's a lot of debate on that. I be we believe that the reason why the state reopened the application process for growers is because they realize there's not enough growers uh, and because of the short season to be able to produce enough biomass for the 79 companies now that could possibly produce CBD isolate really? distillate. Yes. I actually, so it just shows how disconnected I am from New York laws. Fortunately, I, I was unaware that they were um, applying for, so you can apply for recreational cannabis growing right now? Nope, nope. So right now it's an open uh, application to grow CBD uh, uh, hemp in the state, whether it's industrial or right. CBD. Um, 
and and they're currently right now accepting applications to grow still right now you can't and they're also accepting applications to process industrial hemp but not cbd Mm -hmm. they've closed the cbd one out in december and it sounds like maybe that's the process that you put in for as well as december when they opened it up uh no right now i only have uh cultivation yeah yeah i i am so, so you have the grow. So excellent. That, I mean, it's great because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be processing in the state that need people that are going to be producing biomass. And there's, and like you said, there, there is a need for clones being produced here in New York state. I know that for a fact, uh, because I know some, some people that are looking for some currently. Uh, so if they know they can get a good strain, that's going to result in the proper, you know, uh, percentages that'll help them with their processing. It's going to be a huge right. need in New York state. So you're, you're coming into a perfect time in my mind. Yeah, and so th- there's there's benefits and downsides to starting with seeds and clones as well. And I'm I'm planning on um, having a seed a seed program as well. But I'm a, I'm a firm believer in rooted cuttings and, and cloning, um, especially as a, a cultivator um, in greenhouse in particular, outdoor too, um, but indoor and greenhouse more majorly. So uh, it's a real benefit to have consistency with your crop. Even if you have feminized seeds, you're probably going to get in like, you know, every 10 acres, you're probably going to get a few male seeds that, you know, you got to pick out. So you don't want them to seed out your whole field. That's a risk. Um, And then also there's phenotypes for every strain. So you can buy, say you buy a thousand seeds. They're they're not all going to be genetically identical and produce the exact same flower. They're not going to all have the exact same growth structure. They're not all going to have the same growth rates. So you get this variance, which you know, the ease of planting seeds is, is exactly what it is. You have these seeds. There's plenty of seed planters out there. You can do that. Um, they're way more uh, vulnerable to the elements, so you better make sure that you're not going to have crappy weather coming after. Um, where if you're starting with a rooted cutting, it's a, it's a plant already. It's already gotten through all that risky factors. It's, it's sun-grown. It's hardened off. It's just waiting to get into a bigger pot, so to speak, which would be your field or a pot in your greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going to get that consistency. If you have a strain that you, know, you get a certificate of analysis, we'll say COA for short, That's right. uh, you're going you're gonna to at least get a range. Uh, like you'll know someone grew this exact genetic and got this. And then based on how I grow it, I'll get a little bit more or a little less than that. Um so are you doing everything that, indoor indoor here or are you doing anything outdoor at all? Uh yeah, so I, it, my particular farm it's it's about 10 acres. We're going to do a 1 acre of state of the art greenhouse that is going to go year round um and produce high quality uh CBD flower whether it's for extracts or for, you know, flower products if they do eventually allow smokable CBD flower which I think they have already. Um so and far, the, nothing's the been taken would, out, yeah. Yeah, essentially right now, half the greenhouse would be forever flowering. Um, maybe during the hot season for clones, we'll extend that into the full acre, but uh, generally it'll be half nursery and half flowering. Um, and that's just to keep something going year-round. Um, and then the, the field, the, the nine acres, give or take, uh, will be the seasonal field. Um there is some talk with investors to maybe do it all in greenhouse. That would be a much heftier startup budget, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, because 
for most people who don't think about this stuff, when you talk about COAs and certificate analysis, I mean, you poor guys in the agriculture industry, you got to test your soil beforehand. I mean, there's so many factors before you even put a seed or a clone in the ground. You're right. Yeah, you, you hate to put all this money into something and then grow it for, if you're doing full season, uh, six, six to eight months, you know, into a plant, and then it fails for heavy metals test or something like that. You know what I mean? And that, the, honestly, the, the regulations are kind of overkill. There's a lot of things that they test for that really aren't even bad that we have to change things for just to make whoever feel happier right now. But our cat three testing out here is kind of, kind of overkill the parts per billion. Like there's, it is kind of insane. Um, you're right. The California pesticide uh, testing is, is unbelievable. I mean, I've been looking into these testing panels recently and, and theirs is, is way above what's needed. Yeah. They, they have things on there. So like pyrethrin, for example, there, there's studies being done right now where under certain stresses, they believe some cannabis plants produce pyrethrin themselves. You have people failing pyrethrin testing, pointing fingers at everyone around them, where it could have came from their plants just because they experienced the right, um, like right combination of stresses. Mm-hmm. It could, it, it's produced. Uh, most pyrethrin products are produced from uh, mum plants. They extract it from mums. It's a it's an, uh, a pest management uh, method used by mums. Uh, basically, they evolved this chemical pyrethrin that wards off a pest. Wow, that's pretty and cool. That's not able to be used for in cannabis, even though it's very safe to smoke, and <laughs> um, in the levels that would actually be produced. Obviously, you don't want to just spray a bunch of it on and then light it up. But um, exactly. So, so you got to figure out what what is a sensible parts per million or whatever they they test for. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, but and, these and are the things the, you've been dealing with, and now you're going to do it in two of the hardest states. I'm very impressed by that. Yeah, like you're going to well, be in the two heaviest regulated I, I, states. I, I, I see. New York is uh, much, I mean, the, the obstacles are going to be there for sure, and I'll never be ignorant enough to say it'll be easy. Um, it's going to be a challenge, but I don't think, I think compared to what all of us have overcome out here uh, um, with the right attitude and, you know, just having faith that, you know, our integrity and quality of the product that we've proven we're putting out uh, will speak volumes for itself and, um, just being in our home state and, you know, personally knowing multiple people that have these growers permits and uh, extraction permits and, you know, having a decent relationship built already and knowing that they're going to need their help to get started. Um, I'm really confident with it. And I, uh, we're, we're doing it for the right reason. So I'm excited to kind of give back to um, the community and hopefully start helping out people, whoever is still incarcerated for nonviolent cannabis related crimes in the state of New York. Honestly, that's, that's one of my main goals for where I want to put, uh, my money. I love how so, you talk about the social side of it. Cause I, I always talk about the military veteran side of it, uh, through my podcast yeah. and, and how it can help them, uh, with their PTSD and stuff. So I'm glad you brought the other side of that coin up too. Uh, thank yeah, you for that. Yeah. There, there's a lot of professions that, you know, realistically need to get with the times for what they need to allow there there's it's crazy that an airline pilot can't have a cbd topical because he's going to get tested for all cannabinoids and not be fit for his job it's kind of crazy or you know someone in the military not only you know not only vets but even people in the military like obviously the same as alcohol you don't want someone drinking on the job or anything but 
you know, there's a lot of people medicating for real uh, symptoms that could really benefit people in the military, whether it's in rehab, whether it's in, you know, mental health, whether it's something as simple as ADHD. Um, we really, we've got a long way to go. And I, I don't want people to, I, and I, I just mentioned it, and I'm going to bring it up again because I think it's that important. Like there have been people, myself included, you know, risking their freedom for things other than, you know, not paying taxes or, 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 you know, getting easy money. Like people have believed in this medicine for years and risked their livelihood for it, whether it's for family members that could benefit from it, whether it was from, you know, just believing in the magic of the planet, whatever you want to call it. There are people without freedom rotting in cells right now because they believed in this plant. And there are corporations that probably were involved in the legislation to put them there making billions of dollars right now that I think need to be held accountable. That's um, a big social piece of it that that's, uh, I, I definitely think more of the organizations within this industry are helping with that. And I, I think that wasn't there just a release of some nationally recently. So I think we're getting there, but you're right. It's not as fast as it should be. I totally yeah, agree it, it, it's, it's getting there, but if you really think about it, if, if you were, if you were growing, a plant to, you know, help your kid out that was seizuring or had an uh, inoperable brain tumor, you know, and you were able to give them a couple years better quality of life before passing and you get caught and get put in jail for five to 10 years. Uh, it's not quick enough, honestly. Well, like there, I there should, it should almost, I would personally, I mean, I, like it needs the the ball needs to get keep going. I want to keep this momentum because it's going in the right direction. But I really, 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 really want people to not just think about this as medicine and like where we're going. We need to look back a little bit and help people that didn't co create a crime, do didn't commit a crime in today's laws that we're writing, and it needs to be addressed <laughs> because. You can you can lose all your money and get that back. If you lose your time, for all we know, there isn't any getting it back. You know, so politics um, is a game with people's lives, and, and I'm excited for you right. to come back to to Rochester now, and uh, I'll help tackle this with you because I definitely agree with you on all fronts of this. So, are, uh, so where did you graduate high school from? I want to know where your Ro Rochester roots are now. You got me intrigued. Uh, I I was in the the Hilton School District from. Uh, First grade on until I graduated high school. Um, other members of my team went to Penfield, Fairport, Canandaigua. Um, and, and it's been tough out here. I've had a lot of really close friends come out. And unfortunately, due to high stress, it, it puts stresses on either the friendships or their own mental sanity. And, you know, aren't really aren't out here anymore. But, you know, we, we wouldn't be here without their hard work as well. Yeah, to get you there. Is um, there a common connection with all of you? Uh, it seems like that's a lot of different areas. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all they're all, they're all friends of mine from New York, and uh, I've also uh, another partner of mine I've since met out here that's from Illinois. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's become abundantly clear who you align with and partner with, and you know, pledge your loyalty to. It, it, it's more valuable than anything out here because. Uh, I'm sure it'll be different in New York because it's starting from a much uh, more inexperienced, so to speak, pool of people. Um, so it's going to be started, you know, more like a 
a normal business, like if you're start, or opening a restaurant or a, you know, a lettuce farm or, you know, whatever it may be, it's going to be done a lot more, uh, on paper, so to speak. So it's a lot less, you know, just flying by the seat of your pants and, you know, looking over your shoulder all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited for New York. I think, I think, uh, just in the, the the people I know back there in my small network, uh, so many people can are still yet to benefit from this medicine, and um, we're going to be getting them really clean, healthy medicine. Because let's be honest, everyone, anyone out there that's smoking cannabis that's not that you don't know where it's grown, it's probably not testing clean because that's why it's not still in California. So, um, you know, we're going to bring you clean medicine. And that, that's what it's all about. That's exactly what it's about. It's making sure you you know what you need for your dosage and the delivery method that matters for you and what proper dosage matters for your body because all of our bodies are so different and we all have to work together right. to figure out who needs what dosage for what. Right. That, that's such a right. big there, factor. And there's a lot of research going into, I, I know a couple of different startups that are you know doing a lot of research in individual terpene profiles. So you know everyone might have their strain that does really well from them. And I think it's going to get to the point where you can dial in exactly what percentage of what you want for what symptom and or what person using it. And you can kind of custom build your cannabinoid profile that works best for you. Um, you know, some strains make people cloudy headed, clear headed, energetic. You know, it's with all the hybridization out there now, it's really hard to say like, oh, I like sativa or I like indica. Uh, yeah, there's too many mixes now. Yeah, it's way more complicated than that. I couldn't agree more. I got a question for you. What's harder to grow, CBD or the hemp or the THC plant? I, I'm not, I just thought. Okay, about so that. The, there's also multiple levels to this. So there, there is an oh. industrial hemp. There's industrial hemp, um, which is you know mostly cannabis sativa, um, but there are also just straight cannabis plants that don't produce enough THC, so they can classify as hemp. So um, I. If you're, if you're growing for the CBD and not the industrial textile part, um, it's generally more ideal to grow a cannabis plant that just has been bred in a way that eliminates most of the THC. And these are the ones that you just have to be really careful how you grow them because some of them, if they're fed a certain way, you can make them grow hot, which would essentially be breaking the law. And you yeah, or if you leave them on the vine too long. I think we just had a grower here in New York State that had to destroy $2 million worth of crop because he let it go hot. Right. Well, it, it, yes and no. So like, um, the right strains, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Um, like right, the industrial hemp. Um, but if you, it's, that's the gamble. You want, you want more bang for your buck, you're going to have to take a risk. The grow plants that could potentially go hot and THC because those are the ones that can also grow. You know, if you can grow one plant, they each yield a pound of flour, right? One has 10% CBD. One has 20%. You're getting literally twice the amount of product out of the same plant. But that 20% CBD plant, if you mess something up growing, it might grow 0.05 or 0.5% THC and you lose everything. Um, that's kind of the gamble we're playing with right now. Uh, personally, I'm going to ride the fence uh, in the middle somewhere. And uh, I'm really confident that I won't have to worry 
about that, you know, and then also I'll, I'll push that CBD higher. That's right. And do you plan on uh, having a planning this year? Uh, the plan is to get plants started in the greenhouse uh, by before the end of the year and hopefully be ready to supply a bunch of farmers at the start of next season. Yeah, that's perfect. And are you going to be splitting time between Rochester and California or leaving that operation? How are you going to manage it? You can't clone yourself, brother. Oh, that's that's another thing. So, so the managers I have out here are, have been through the ringer, learning on the job, and honestly, it's probably the most valuable training they could have got, although it's come with an unlimited amount of more headaches than if they came into an already organized um, system. But it allowed them to learn how to problem solve every little bit. And I'm really confident in being able to leave the greenhouse out here for multiple days now, which wasn't the case a year ago. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. It's allowed me to have some sort of life where, you know, I can take a day off and not even be worried anymore. You know, um, we've essentially averaged working around price between 60 and 80 hours a week for two years now, you know, so it's, it has not been an easy go at it and it's basically just been done by outworking people. But, um, yeah, I, I'm really confident leaving them out here. Um, and then there's also going to be probably some split time between them, uh, getting it going out here. It's going to be mainly me to start just, you know, uh, with greenhouse designs with greenhouse companies and contractors and stuff like that. Um, then it'll be kind of a, uh, a regroup out in New York to go over the facilities and the SOPs, uh, standard operating procedures for everything. And then, um, there'll be some managers hired, uh, from my network in New York, as well as, uh, at least one manager coming from this project out here to go help start that over there. And then I, yes, I'd probably be bouncing back and forth. Um, we're, we're also looking at expanding, uh, to a couple more spaces out here in California. So there's multiple projects being started, uh, at once, um, and uh, we, we we have a, a lot of uh, investors lined up. Uh, nothing signed yet. Uh, I'm still not still not set on any of them. Uh, I'd like to kind of, for, especially for the New York project, we're opening the doors to some angel investors um, from New York. Um, I'd like to keep the funding and money all from locally, if possible. Um, that's my goal. You know, if uh, if we we have to take it from outside sources. We will, and then buy them out. Hopefully, with success. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, it's still at its very early stages. No, nothing's been signed. Uh, uh, I have contractors. I'm lining up contractors. I'm lining up, you know, the county and uh, the towns for you know the right permits and whatnot, uh, just to make sure everything goes smoothly. But. Um, if you're if you have a couple million sitting around and looking to invest in the cannabis industry, send them my contact info. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's going to be tough to find a couple investors around Rochester because uh, I think there are people out fishing. Just so you know. No, and that that's that's been the double-edged sword. You know, that's that's the 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 candy dangling in front of the baby's face. You know, there we have some really easy routes right now. I, uh, I have uh, a publicly traded Hong Kong company that is literally 
telling me there's un- basically unlimited funds, but I don't want to take it because what does that mean? You know? Yeah. Um, it's 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 picking and choosing your allies, and I really believe that because you know we're in it for the long haul, and we want to we want to be involved in the politics, we want to be involved in social change, we want to be involved in making a difference in the world. The name of our company is Salt of the Earth. I want it to be an international, global company. I want to be in almost every state. Um, it's it's a big picture, which the, these this big money, you know, it's it's really appetizing to take a jump like that, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it'll be more valuable, you know, taking the doing the grind ourselves um, in the long run. So. I couldn't agree more. When you can control, yeah, when you can control everybody around you, you can control your finances. You don't have to scramble and make bad deals uh, just because you're. It sounds like you're in a good position. I want to have a say in who we. uh, Sorry for talking over you. I want to have a say in who we do business with. You know, if 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 I'm in, if you know a a major owner in a joint venture is from Hong Kong. I, Brandon, I wouldn't just do that with any company. I'm going to vet them properly, but I still don't want them to have the control to say, okay, well, we're, we're, you know, we're going to take the, this company on as a, a major, uh, customer instead of this company. And for all I know, they're, they're doing something or supporting something that I really don't believe in. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, in, in the, in the game of survival, I would hope, hope that anyone would take someone's money uh, to, you know, to, to, uh, accomplish their, their end vision. But, you know, if you have the, the choice, you know, you want to help the people that are doing good in the world, you know? And ultimately at the end of the day, you're going to be working with a lot of farmers in New York state that could use another avenue for revenue. So you, you are coming in to be a godsend for them because you, because you're going to help a lot of people who don't, right. have, you don't, they don't have a lot of experience with, with this plant yet in New York because it's so new here. Right. Right, yeah, you have you have ag families getting into hemp that haven't grown hemp. You have cannabis people getting in, into it that haven't grown in that environment. You have, you know what I mean? Everyone's got their expertise. It's rare. It's few and far between that have an expertise in all of it, you know? That's right. So what's your escape, though? What's your escape? Because I, I can hear how intense you are. Yeah, I can hear how smart you are, how, much, <laughs> how many issues you've dealt with with strains. But what do you do to, like, escape so you can come back recharged to do this healthy? Oh, man. That is a great question. That, that's what I've been working on most of my life for the past few months uh, because I, I have, uh, it, it, you know, it, when, it, when you're really passionate about it, it, it rarely feels like work. And even though I've been exhausted, I feel like I'd had unlimited energy. I had no issue just getting up every day, working 18 hours and going to sleep just to get up and do it again. But, um, due to, you know, the evolving business and having to deal with the other side of things, you know, you know, what comes in, like the legal side of it, the paperwork, the, the sales, you know, it helps selling a product I really believe in, but you know, you know, on a bad day, you can't bring that negative energy into a, a conversation with a customer. And then that turns into something that's draining, you know, um, my, my escape right now is I'm able to play beach volleyball every once in a while on a Sunday. That's, that's really helpful for me. Um, uh, I try to take Sundays off from actually going to the farm. Uh, so that's my escape, at least resting my body a little bit. Um, luckily I'm, I'm not doing a ton of manual labor anymore, but it's, uh, it's still walking around 
all day, every day on the phone and, you know, overseeing things and, you know, mitigating small fires, so to speak. Um, but, uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. I've been seeing an acupuncturist and massage therapist, uh, um, that's also an energy worker that's been kind of a godsend to me. Um, just like helping me maintain this the high intensity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just, just trying to basically delegate and have faith in the people that, that I've been training for a year and a half that, you know, they're, you know, they are, I already know they're really intelligent, really hardworking. Uh, they really care about it. So in the end, I, I, it's just about having faith and delegating and trusting that I can take time away, you know, and then, um, with the New York project starting, I was able to just make it back home finally again for the first time in a while. So being around friends and family, I haven't seen that's been energetically and spiritually recharging for me. Um, it, that is the challenge right now for me though, is finding that balance. It's really hard just because, you know, I've essentially, uh, I, I made a commitment to myself, you know, I'd be married to this. Like that is my number one priority. I put my life savings, other people's money into it, other people's time. You know, a lot of my partners got in with sweat equity. They worked for free for a really long time, um, to build this. And it's much larger than myself. I, I think if it was just me, I didn't take any money or time from other people. I probably would have thrown in the towel a bunch of times, honestly, but, um, it, it's panning out. Like we, the, all the things we were wishing for are our problems. Now it's figuring out how to service more people, how to keep all these orders straight without double selling the same plant. You know, it's, it's good problems. And now we have to get the systems in place. And now I can start concentrating on instead of surviving, how do we thrive? How do I get dial in all the the procedures to be, you know, within 1% of accuracy instead of 10%, you know, this industry is so regimented. Your documentation has to be on point. You have to, any inspector could show up at any minute, at any facility. Like that's where the stress really comes right. in. Right? You're, you're, yeah. So think about anyone out there that has, uh, production line experience. Think about if you had a production line of products that were living organisms and essentially have a consciousness to change based on their environment that they're given, and you need to keep them on a schedule. So, based on how much wa- how much water they get, the 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 humidity percentage, the VPD, uh, you know, the the parts per million that you're feeding them, the air movement, everything, every single you could have the exact same genetic, the exact same start. And every square foot of a greenhouse is going to have a slightly different environment, you know. So think about a production line that's at max capacity and then trying to keep that um, perfect, essentially. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's uh, that's it's really unheard of in any other thing other than, you know, people that are doing starts for other crops. And that's where we have turn um it's not in people's basements it's not in garages it's not gorilla growing anymore it's 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 out in the light and people don't need to reinvent the wheel and that's kind of another thing that's been setting us and other farms apart is we're going to these farmers that have been doing it for on thousands of acres and trying to find efficiencies that they've evolved over the last hundred years and how do we implement that into cannabis a lot of it is these farms have machine shops right on, on, on site and they have people that are building equipment and processes that do not exist on the market. That's right. Most people don't realize a lot of patents come out of farms in the agricultural area. 
And, oh, and I, I've personally seen in my eyes probably a hundred that aren't even patented yet. They're just doing it on their farm. Mm-hmm. That they could do that. You know what I mean? But that's the beauty. That's why, that's what invoked the fire in me beyond me falling in love with Like, it was just a hobby for me for 10 years. Like, I, I liked growing it. It was beautiful. I liked learning about it, doing experiments, see what worked better. Just for myself. I did it all myself. It got me really intimate with every aspect of the process. Now the passion is problem solving. Um, and then also, you know, finally feeling like I'm giving something my all, like my whole life. I've always like, I wonder what would happen if I actually tried in sports and school and anything, you know, so now I'm trying, I'm giving it my all. It's, it's something I'm passionate about. Uh, just knowing that the race is who's figuring out how to do it best. That's where I thrive. You know, that's, that's, that's where like my soul is ignited on fire is problem solving. How do I solve the problem? How do I make this better process improvement? That's just how my mind works. Everything I do is based on efficiency and I'm thrown into something that is just one wild inefficiency. So it's just, it'll keep me busy for the rest of my life. It's yeah, beautiful. there's right. Cause there's so many variables. So, so, uh, personal again, are you excited to come home and spend more time with family? I am. I am. When I, when I, I had no desire to leave New York. Um, I, I love California. There's honestly, I've fallen more in love with it being out here more time. Um, the, the, the land is the energy of the land. Like if you go for a hike out here and if you're in tune with nature at all, like the, the energy is palpable. It's definitely magical if you're spiritual, but on a scientific level, it's, it's just beautiful. The weather's nice. I try to remind myself every day about what the weather's like back home and how grateful I am to, you know, get sunny days more than not. But I'm really excited to spend more time in New York. I, I miss the people. I miss the, the blunt honesty. Uh, uh, I had every intent when I came out here to, to bring the company back once it was more legalized. Um, and I'm, it, it's not, it, in question anymore. Like that is the goal right now is to bring it back, um, to grow on both coasts and then hopefully have enough of a base to start spreading inward. Um, we've started giving out, um, some scholarships to high school students for for pursuing agriculture stuff on other States to hopefully start getting our name out there and, um, hopefully help us in future projects. Um, well, that's what we need. We need to we need to further expand. And I, I want to touch pace upon that one more time. You mentioned Cornell College, and they are one of the, them yeah. and Morrisville are two of the two of the colleges in New York State that have been involved with this industrial hemp program right yeah. away since it came out. Um, so I was excited to to hear you are affiliated with Cornell in some way because they are just so advanced uh, here uh, in the state. I personally am not affiliated with Cornell. I, the only connections I have with Cornell is I considered going there. Uh, I The guy that founded the company or founded the copyright of the, that started the company that I worked for in New York um, was Gary Harmon, who uh, came from Cornell. He basically discovered trichoderma and was the first product, made the first product that utilized a living organism uh, to benefit the growth of plants. Um, and then I have a friend that owns a company that is also in bio, organic biopesticides, and they are working with Cornell. So it's kind of in, insider info, but I, I know uh, that the, the struggle is going to be uh, consistent, healthy starts. 
So if you plant a field, it's very realistic without the proper grower to lose half of it to, you know, you know, pythium or dampening off or, or stem rot, you know, any, any of the, the above, uh, it's, it's not easy. So that's where I think, especially in the environment of New York, if you can get plants in the ground a month ahead of time and then also have them be plants that are essentially where you would get from a seed in four weeks after transplanting it, but essentially a 99% success rate, you know, um, I think just paying a couple bucks more is well worth it. I couldn't agree more, and I think there's a huge need for clones in this state to help the CBD crops all get advanced, to help the processors out. So I couldn't agree more, and I'm excited that yeah. you're probably going to bring some of the knowledge from California here with you uh, to get a jump start in those clones. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it's, I, I've grown a lot of different crops, uh, none on the same size as cannabis, but anywhere from one to four or 500 plants of literally everything from turf grass to poinsettias to hydroponic tomatoes to just any of your vegetable gardens and herbs, just whether for personal life or for my job, cannabis is a special plant. Same as, and, and hemp is no different. Um, it is essentially a weed. It will grow most places, but to grow well and to, to use the right stresses at the right times to make it grow how it benefits you and the plant, um, that's where it's special. And I, I think it's going to take, um, everyone can get there. You know, you, you take someone that's grown cabbage for the last 20 years and throw them in hemp, they'll get there. It might take them a couple years, but they'll get there. But um, to, be, to be able to hit the ground running the, the first season, it's not going to be many farms. And uh, that's an unfortunate truth that I hope a lot of people are living with. Well, I believe that uh, definitely the last couple of years here in the state, New York farmers have gone through a lot of growing pains. They've they've grown and probably had a lot of the issues that you just mentioned. And then on top of that, processors said they would be there to take biomass and then weren't there at the end of the day because they didn't get all their equipment in place or whatever. So I don't even believe there, we don't even know if there's a spot here in New York State that you can get isolate right now. Uh, so the poor farmers here in New York State have all been kind of uh, handcuffed. So, so I believe now with these 79 new processors and then guys like you, they're going to help provide clones. I just think it's going to be such a benefit to New York state in the long run. Yeah. So, so processors can only buy from New York hemp growers. Can hemp growers sell to anyone besides New York state processors? Uh, yeah, you can go out of the state. It depends on the other states. Right now, we don't see uh, uh, just people in the state. When I keep saying we, I just mean people of New York State, residents of New York State, and what we hear is rumors. Um, but but generally speaking, yes, I think we'll, you can send stuff out, but really they're going to discourage you from, from importing hemp from outside the state once there's enough growers and hemp being produced here, enough biomass to, to be able to fulfill all the processors. Uh, but, but I don't think they're going to have any regulations about shipping out of anything out of the state because, uh, governor Cuomo just a couple months ago when he made his big, um, spiel about CBD and THC and the rec, rec THC policy, which we're still waiting on now. Uh, he said he wants New York state to be the leader of producing isolate is one of the things he mentioned. So he definitely, I think wants to see Beautiful. New York state, um, be able to ship out isolate across, across to other states. Well, I, I have no plan on getting, uh, spending my time in a lab again. I, I didn't dislike it. There's a lot I appreciate, appreciate it about working in labs 
with the, you know, the cleanliness and efficiency and protocols and whatnot. And I've pulled from that into this industry, but I have no desire to get back into the lab myself. However, I would love to get involved in a, a processing thing too, because I, you know, my experience on, unfortunately and fortunately has been in lab work. Um, so I, I do have the intention of getting a lab going um, to some capacity. I don't know my involvement in that yet, but I would love to start processing it myself as well. Yeah, and that's really where we're going with the state, right? Just have more people involved in the whole process is going to help everybody out for what? The medicine side for people's health. Let's not get away from that. Brent's mentioned several times, this is all about making our bodies healthier, folks. Yes, sir. Brian, you've been very generous with your time. The last thing, just so people know, he basically was commuting home from work on this phone call uh, slash interview slash podcast episode. So how, how is your commute? Do you have a long commute? How, tell, tell us a little about the California commute because we all know Rochester's 20 minutes everywhere. Um, and you may want to wait, by the oh, way, because right. 390-490 is being in, improved right now. So there's a big traffic jams on 390 for another <laughs> eight months. So you might want to avoid well, I, that. Last time I was there, I noticed that the interloop was pretty much gone now. Yep, they redid uh, that the, that's correct. Yep, <laughs> yep, and that's nice there now, but now they're doing that 390, 490 Lyle Avenue area, and it's really causing some headaches there. So, uh, But what about I your commute, though? Do you have, yeah, how about your commute? Let's talk about your commute in California. So uh, my commute, so the the city where I started growing in out here is Salinas. Um, for those of you that don't know about Salinas, which is probably everyone, it's uh, in what's considered the salad bowl. Around 70% of, uh, I know it's at least the U.S. and Japan. I want to say maybe even the world, but let's just say at least the U.S. 70% of all fruits and vegetables are grown in this valley that stretches through California and Japan. Um, So you you just see farmland on every side as far as you can reach. But then there's in the city center all all these old flower greenhouses. So um, in in addition to the high crime rates and gang activity in the, in the area, it didn't, wasn't really appealing to me to live in, um, especially being in the industry, not wanting to deal with the, the safety aspect, but also I'm moved across the country. I want to live near the coast. So I decided to live in Monterey. It was between Monterey and Santa Cruz. I just happened to find a, a house in Monterey quicker. Uh, I've since been looking for about a year for a place to move more closer to Santa Cruz which is where my current greenhouse is. So I, I got this house when I was working in Salinas. I then started the company in a town called Watsonville, just outside. Um, and the commute is about 40 miles. It takes me anywhere from 40 to 55 minutes, depending on traffic. Uh, it's a beautiful drive. Um, it's just normal at this point. I remember not being stoked about having essentially an hour commute every day. Um, but, uh, I can't complain and I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to find a place closer on, but, uh, yeah, that's not so bad. Some people, some people take some half hour to get five miles. Yeah. No, if, if I, if I lived in LA or something like that, yeah. And, and the, the beauty is I'm leaving Monterey in the morning while the, the rush hour is coming in and then I'm leaving Santa Cruz while the rush hour is going back into Santa Cruz. So I'm kind of, I'm always going the opposite direction. There's like probably like a 15 minute hold up leaving work every day, but beyond that, it's pretty clean sailing and I drive along the coast. So I get a beautiful sunset every day. You lucky dog. 
So what advice do you have out there as we close this episode up? What advice do you have for people who think they can get into this industry and be growers? Uh, if you want to grow, my advice is learn from other people's mistakes. Um, teach yourself by talking to people and finding out their experiences. Um, I'm an I'm an open book. I'm happy to talk about you know what I found. Um, I, my time is very limited, so you know if if you're if anyone's looking for like real consultation, so to speak, I, I would need to work something out with that. But, you know, I, I love talking about this. I love just, you know, chewing the fat, so to speak, educating people on whatever I can, growing wise, you know, tips and tricks kind of thing. Um, but I, I really believe if, if you're starting a farm, I would talk to someone that's grown hemp or cannabis and I would talk to someone that's grown large scale ag and in, in, in a different way or, or someone that's done both and, you know, really listen to them. Uh, the every level to this has a thousand more levels. It is so complex. Um, if you think you know something, you're probably wrong. Um, no offense, but uh, none of us are Mother Nature, right? The, the, these are living organisms that want to live. You know, so killing them is not going to be too easy unless you really want to. But you know, to to get, have them thrive, it is complex. You know, we can't just eat Burger King every day and expect to live a really long, healthy life. And it's the same with these plants. You know, um, uh, my advice is, you know, just, you know, have faith that with hard work, it'll work out and just leap and give it your all and ally, your, ally yourself with good people. And um, that's really it. That's the uh, same with anything in life, really. But in particular in New York, you know, keep don't plant too early. Don't. <laughs> Don't risk losing your whole crop to frost and, you know, pay for quality over quantity, uh, over the cheaper option. Uh, honestly, that's my, my, my bet. You will never catch up. If you're playing catch up, you will always be behind. Get a good start. Um, if you feel like you're rushing something, you know, this industry was founded by people rushing and doing things and, you know, flying by the seat of your pants and it working out a lot of the time. But a lot of people, mostly, they find failure and, you know, and it would have saved them a lot of time and money just, you know, cutting it and starting fresh and trying to play catch up through a whole harvest. And then you're, you know, kind of counting your pennies at the end saying, where did it, what happened? You know, I'd rather lose a month and get it start fresh with a clean start a month late and go from there. You've heard it, folks. CEO and founder of Salt of the Earth nursery brent jessian brent thank you for your time today thank you for your wisdom my, my pleasure. your energy and i cannot wait to have you in new york and have you in our, my social circles so we can talk more and, and figure out how we can help each other out business-wise because i know that we can uh so thanks for your time sir and yep. i look forward to talking to you again soon thank you very much for having me thank you anna for uh linking us together uh, thank you for what you're doing. I really, really appreciate you educating people and having a passion for it too. Um, and thank you for considering me. You know, uh, I'm sure there's tons of people really passionate about this. So uh, I appreciate it. And shout out to Salt of the Earth Nursery people. If you listen to this, I love you. And none of us would be here without each and every one of you. So um, thank you and I love you. <laughs> I love it. What a great way to close. Have a, have a good day, everybody. We'll see you next week.